Welcome to Unscriptured. I'm Amy, and together we will untangle the Bible, breaking it down as we go. My hope is that this podcast will take away some of the anxiety and the fear that we have when we approach Scripture. Through each episode, we will learn some of the background and thought that went into the stories contained in our Bible, so that it is no longer intimidating or off-putting to crack open our Bible and jump right in. So far, we have followed the story of God's people from creation to violence, and we've now arrived at the flood. This is God's attempt to reverse creation in order to undo the effects of wickedness, violence, and evil that have taken root in the human heart and have spread from the Garden of Eden out into the larger world. Today, we will conclude the story of the flood and witness how life and relationships continue after the waters recede. Let's begin by reading Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you alone are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and its mate, a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and its mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the air also, male and female, to keep their kind alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came on the earth. And Noah with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came on the earth. As we begin Genesis chapter 7, we encounter a mashup of two different sources or authors— the priestly source, and the J or the Yahwist source. We see this collision of sources in these opening verses where two different descriptions of the number of animals that Noah is to bring into the ark with him occur. In these verses, Noah is told one time to bring seven pairs of every kind of animal into the ark, but then a few verses later, he's instructed a second time to bring a pair or two of every animal with him. There is actually symbolism behind these numbers. Seven is the number of completeness and perfection. It's the number of animals that the J source prescribes. Just like the seven days of creation in Genesis chapter one, by bringing seven pairs of animals into the ark in Genesis chapter seven, we are to be reminded that this is going to be an act of creation on God's part a new, complete creation to hopefully undo all the effects of sin and violence that have grieved and broken God's heart. In essence, God wants to start all over again. It's important for this author to have more than two of every kind of animal on the ark because this account will include a sacrifice after the flood. For our priestly author, Noah is instructed to bring only two of every animal into the ark, 
because in this account, there will be no sacrifices until much later in Israelite history, when the priestly class, the temple, and the whole sacrificial system are put into practice. Also, the J account, or the Yahwist account, includes a different duration for the flood. In the J version, God sends the flood as rain for 40 days and 40 nights. In contrast, the priestly flood is a cosmic upsurge that comes on the earth for 150 days, after which it takes even more time for the waters to subside. Again, there's symbolism. 40 symbolizes a period of testing, trial, or probation. It also represents a generation of man. You know, I often wonder if uh, Noah knew how long he was going to be in the ark and how exactly he felt about that. Because whether it's 40 days and 40 nights or it's 150 days and then more time for the waters to recede, it is a really long time to be cooped up in this vessel with all of those animals. With that, let's continue reading Genesis chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened. The rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah with his sons Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons, entered the ark. They and every wild animal of every kind, and all domestic animals of every kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every bird of every kind, every bird, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. These verses give us our first description of the flood. This depiction of the flood comes from the priestly source, and in it we see that God opens the fountains of the great deep and the windows of the heavens in order to inundate the earth with the cosmic waters below the ocean and above the dome of the sky. Essentially, the earth is returned to a state of watery chaos, like the one before God separated the waters in Genesis chapter 1. What we see here in Genesis 7 is a complete undoing and reversal of the creation story. Things have gotten so contaminated by violence and sin that God has decided to scrap creation and start all over again. We'll continue with Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. The flood continued forty days on the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters swelled and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. The waters swelled so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters swelled above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all human beings. 
Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, human beings and animals and creeping things and birds of the air. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. And the waters swelled on the earth for 150 days. This section drives home the fact that God is undoing creation. The floodwaters continue to fill the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, which again, the number 40 represents a whole generation. So God is essentially wiping the slate clean to begin creation again. Interesting note here, um, outside of the ark, there is destruction and death and darkness and a whole lot of water. And it seems that the world has returned to the chaos that is mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 at the very beginning. The focus of this moment is not destruction, though. The focus is salvation. So from the ark will emerge a recreative moment. Let's continue now as we go into Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters gradually receded from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains appeared. Genesis chapter 8 begins with the statement that God remembered Noah and all the people and the animals that were on the ark with him. This is the turning point of the story. The phrase marks the triumph of mercy over judgment. The belief and concept that God remembers is central to scripture. The takeaway from this flood story is that God is reliable and faithful to the promises that God has made. On top of that, God is reliable and faithful to those promises even when, and maybe especially when, we are not. Upon remembering Noah, God makes a wind blow over the waters, causing the windows in the heavens from which the water poured upon the earth to close, and the waters themselves begin to recede from the earth. If we're paying close enough attention, we notice that this sounds a lot like creation in Genesis chapter 1. The author is alerting us to the fact that something new is going on here, suggesting that creation had begun to fail and that now God begins the task of restoration. The ruach, the breath, the wind of God, has a recreative effect. Let's continue with Genesis chapter 8, verses 6 through 12. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. 
Then he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him any more. The floodwaters had ceased, which means that the earth would begin to absorb the water, and eventually dry land would appear once more. In order to test and make sure that the waters had finally subsided from the earth, so that he and all the creatures on the ark with him could disembark, Noah sends out a raven and a dove. The use of birds to scout for land is actually a very common maritime practice. So Noah sent the raven out from the ark first. The raven is a carnivore and most likely would begin to feed on the remains of creatures who had passed away as a result of the flood once the waters had dissipated. The raven flies back and forth until finally there is something to feast on. But to make sure that there was dry land at this point, Noah sends out the dove. A symbol of peace and calm, the dove also brings up the image of the Spirit of God, the Ruach, hovering over the waters of chaos at the beginning of the creation story in Genesis 1. Furthermore, the dove is sent out three times with seven days between each flight, hearkening back to the seven days of creation in Genesis chapter 1. Once more, we're reminded that this cataclysmic event is a beginning again, a new creation. Eventually, on its third flight, the dove is sent out and does not return, which tells Noah that the dry land has emerged and it's safe to exit the ark. Let's continue in Genesis chapter 8, verses 13 through 19. In the 600th year, in the first month, on the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and saw that the face of the ground was drying. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Go out of the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. And every animal, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out of the ark by families. Genesis chapter 8 verse 13 tells us that the waters dried up from the earth on the first day of the first month of the 600th year. This date is significant. The author of Genesis chapter 8 does not just throw it into the story haphazardly. Later in Israel's history, the first day of the first month is the day that the tabernacle, the portable temple, 
which represented God's presence amongst God's people while they wandered in the wilderness, is erected. We will learn more about that once we get to the book of Exodus. In the history of Israel, this specific day will come to represent a new year of sorts. There's also a connection to the Mesopotamian epic known as the Enuma Elish. This story tells of the creation of the world from the severed body of the creator god's aquatic enemy and the raising of a palace to the victorious creator. This event in Mesopotamian culture was also liked to a celebration of the new year. So over and over again, we're reminded through symbolism and narrative links that this flood story is the story of a new creation, a new beginning, with Noah as the new Adam. Even though the waters had receded and dry land had appeared on the first day of the first month, it is almost two months later before Noah, his family, and all the creatures depart from the safety and security of the ark. On the 27th day of the second month, they all emerge with a blessing and a command from God to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. These words from God echo God's blessings to the creatures and to the first humans in Genesis chapter 1. Essentially, with the departure from the ark, the history of life begins again. Let's conclude Genesis chapter 8 with verses 20 through 22. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. The first thing that Noah does after leaving the ark is to build an altar and to offer sacrifices to God. These are sacrifices of thanksgiving for God having spared him and his family and all the creatures with him on the ark from destruction. And these sacrifices, they reestablish the relationship between God and humans. God appreciates the offerings, finding their aromas pleasing. As a result, God has compassion on creation, despite the fact that the flood has not changed the inclinations of the human heart. Humanity is still inclined to evil, yet God does not resign to the presence of sin. Instead, God offers a new way of relating to a wicked world. Life will go on. Here we enter into Genesis chapter 9 with verses 1 through 7. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you shall rest on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the air, on everything that creeps on the ground, and on all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And just as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your own lifeblood I will surely require a reckoning, 
From every animal I will require it, and from human beings, each one for the blood of another. I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a human by a human shall that person's blood be shed. For in his own image God made humankind. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Abound on the earth and multiply in it. Here at the beginning of Genesis chapter 9, we have a repetition of the blessing given to creation in Genesis chapter 1. This reminds us once more that the flood story is a story of recreation. What comes after the waters recede is a beginning again, a new creation. The repetition of this blessing from Genesis chapter 1 also stresses that in the midst of death and destruction, God wills life, and that will remains firmly in place even with the inclination of the human heart and the negative effects of continuing violence, injustice, and disorder. This theme will run throughout all of scripture and will continually resurface as we see our ancestors try to live in right relationship with God and with one another, but fail every time. However, God's love and grace, God's will for life, remain steadfast. In these opening verses of Genesis chapter 9, we also see the first laws given to us by God. These laws regarding eating the lifeblood of animals and taking the lifeblood of another human being, they're designed to control the violence that corrupted the earth before the flood. If you're wondering why there's more weight given to taking the life of a human being versus the life of an animal, it has to do with the fact that human beings are created in the image of God. As such, there's a higher degree of respect for human life. Let's continue with Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. In these verses, we witness God establishing a covenant with Noah and his descendants. The covenant is essentially a promise that the flood will never reoccur and confirms the eternal bond between God and his creatures. Essentially, God sets aside the weapon of war, the bow, as a symbol that destruction is over. Covenants are crucial in scripture and for our faith. They function as promises 
but they carry a lot more weight since they are often made with or by God. This covenant in Genesis chapter 9 is one that is initiated by God. The covenant will be as good as God is. God establishes it in goodness and love and upholds it in eternal faithfulness. It will never need to be renewed. It stands forever, regardless of what people do. Because God has made it and God is eternal, God is steadfast, and God is full of grace, the covenant will always be remembered and upheld. Let's conclude Genesis chapter 9 with verses 18 through 29. The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk, and he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord my God be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. It's interesting that Genesis chapter 9, verse 20, describes Noah as a man of the soil. In a play on words here, this description reminds us that God sculpted the first human being from the dust of the earth in Genesis chapter 2. But it is also a reminder of the first vocation of humanity, which was farming or agriculture. After the flood, as creation begins again, Noah returns to the first role of humanity, to till the earth. More specifically, Genesis chapter 9 tells us that Noah planted a vineyard. This vineyard brings about some drama after Noah drinks too much and essentially passes out naked in his tent. His son Ham, who will become the father of Canaan, sees his father's nakedness and tells his brothers. Now, this story is included in scripture as a means of explaining why the Canaanites were cursed, and it's also a justification for Israel's later conquest of Canaan. Commentators on scripture are not exactly sure what Ham did in this passage. Often, to uncover the nakedness of a man means to have sexual relations with his wife. If that is the case, then Ham is guilty of incest, of sleeping with his own mother. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 17, however, we see the phrase, to see the nakedness, used to mean having sex, which would make Ham guilty of homosexual rape. The Jewish Midrash, however, interprets Ham's action as castrating his father, thus preventing Noah from having any more children. 
Even if these interpretations are wrong, and we take the words literally, Ham still violates two norms highly stressed in both the Tanakh and Rabbinic Judaism, the ethic of bodily modesty and the norm to honor and respect one's parents. For a son to see his father drunk and naked and leave him in that state is a dereliction of filial duty. Therefore, Noah curses Ham and Ham's descendants. Genesis chapter 9 concludes not only with the blessings and curses of Noah's lineage, but with a note that Noah lived a total of 950 years. He will be the last of the great ancestors with long lives. In our next episode, we will continue to follow the post-flood story. How will God choose to continue the relationship with creation, even though the waters did not wash the evil from humanity's heart completely? If you're interested in finding out, we'll catch you next time on Unscriptured. The sources which went into this podcast episode include the HarperCollins Study Bible, the Jewish Study Bible, and the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary. For more detailed information on how those sources shaped this podcast, I encourage you to check out my website, www.unscriptured.wixsite.com slash Bible study.